Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey everyone, Joyce here, welcoming you to today's Walk and Talk, where we have a return guest, Katie Bowman, who is a biomechanist. Did I get that right, Katie? You got it right. I was, I was telling her before, it's just a word that I stumble over. And best-selling author, she is a speaker and she is a leader of the movement movement, which I love. She teaches movement globally. She's written nine books previously on the importance of a diverse movement diet, including Move Your DNA, Dynamic Aging, Grow Wild, and others. And she has a new book out, which is what we're going to spend a fair bit of time today talking about, which is called Rethink Your Position. So Katie, with that, welcome back to a 99 Walks Walk and Talk. Uh, and I would love for you to start for people who may have missed our initial conversation, just with a real quick kind of background on the nature of your work and how you came to do this kind of work. Um, well, so I'm a biomechanist by training, as you so eloquently already pointed out. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And that's just a, that's just a science that blends um, the impact of physical forces, mechanical forces on living systems, biology, in this case, how does our, our mechanical environment, so that would be like the way we move, the amount we move, the positions we assume throughout the day, how does that all inform our physical experience, you know, how, how our body performs and feels, and I came to it, I mean, honestly, just as a teenager making my way through deciding to go to college and studying math and physics but not not enjoying those I found them too boring and at the same time I was an emerging mover I was not a mover before I was very studious and so I started discovering the mm. impact that movement could have on my physical and mental state and because it was so powerful for me, it probably bled over into my feeling like math and science were very sedentary and boring and just like not, they weren't dynamic enough. I was not able to use my senses and my physical body in the study of them. So I found this small department in kinesiology, um, which was um, a degree there that they had actually already closed but had to let me in because I came to college at the right <laughs> in the catalog that had it. And that was um, where I finished that, that degree. And the rest of my college was just movement and physiology and anatomy, studying the body. And then I went on to study that in graduate school as well. Um, but at the same time, the work that I really do is um, less in that academic space, although it can be in there sometimes. And it was more just like bringing to everyday people, the science of how their body worked and why movement was so important, like down to the nuts and bolts of movement, not just, you know, move more, but like how all the hinges work and how to make your body uh, perform for you and feel the way 
feel the way you want it to through the through having a better movement toolkit and that's essentially what my work is these days and what i what i love so much about the way you approach this is there are a whole lot of people out there who are focused on how you move better if you happen to be a professional athlete <laughs> but there are not as many people doing what you do a fair bit of which is how to move better when you're a normal person well right and it's the same it's the same field i think this, our field tends to be broken into um into seeing movers in three categories which would be uh sports athletics fitness and then like and dancing and then and then rehabilitation so that would be physical therapy or you know people who like people with disabilities people who what we, we call it like adaptable movement movement that needs to be adjusted but the base for all those movements is exactly the same. It's just you're you're teasing out what different populations would be interested in. And I would agree with what you're saying. Like I really found there was a, a dearth of of helpful uh, guidelines and corrective exercises and a way to approach movement that worked for people who didn't happen to fit in any of those categories people and and also it works for people in those categories but just people who are thinking about man i wish my body performed better not at a race or not in a game but just getting up and down uh, the stairs without my knees hurting or uh, not having my lower back feel so problematic that i can't join my family for the you know once in a lifetime vacation or I can't I don't feel comfortable watching my grandkids you know just like really everyday situations that still depend heavily on how we move physically like they're just, it, people just weren't talking about movement in that way and so that's you know I've been doing this for almost 20 years now and that's really where I started and and that's just my sweet spot I think and but there's a whole nother piece to this in my mind which is when people are in pain or when people are having issues or when people can't join the family, they start really thinking about their bodies in that way. But I also think there's a whole world out there of let's learn to move better so that we don't get in that kind of trouble. I remember years ago, my dad had some uh, pretty significant back problems and he was an athlete his whole life. Uh, and he ended up in a pain management center. And I don't remember much about his experience there other than one story he told me, which is that they taught him how to empty the dishwasher. Exactly. Right. That's exactly All it. Of that, yeah, that's exactly it. And that's the piece that I don't, like, oh, gosh, we just don't talk about it until we hurt. And then it's like, okay, how do I fix what's wrong? But how do we move better so we don't get in that place in the first place well right like i think we're keen on rehab but like prehab the idea of you know preparing becoming more resilient overall is a piece that's missing and it probably has the most to do with time management i mean the thing we're all up against is there's only so much time and your future injury is not <laughs> is not making right. a list you know, and that, and I think that's just mostly it. And only when it's arisen, and only when it's staring you in the face, 
um, do you have to deal with it? And so it just is, it's that same psychological game that we play with how to prioritize something where the payoff is so far in the future mm-hmm. or worse, really untrackable. Like it's very difficult to know, like to really prove to yourself that doing something now is what pays off later because the, the distance between so, so many of the inputs in the body take time to accumulate. And so I think we just have a hard time with that psych game is, is connecting the dots between, um, you know, lifestyle and how we end up. It's easier to track things that are acute. It's harder to track things where even the experience you have in an acute situation can still relate back to the lifestyle. So it's just that I try to spend a lot of time educating people on that and showing them the long game of the mechanics and how yeah. they play out over time. Because I, I think that if we can get our brain to understand it better, it might make it easier to prioritize. So I, I'm, it's sort of the lead in for the question, because I think, I, I think this is part of the answer is with all that you've done, all that you've spoken about and all that you've written, what prompted you to write Rethink Your Position? Well, so I, uh, biomechanists are sort of like up close to the body nerds. You know, it's not just are you moving, yes or no. That's like for your, you know, uh, uh, your medical team or your fitness trainer will can often take just a simple, are you getting exercise? Biomechanists job is to look at the body that is moving to see how exactly it's moving. So there's much more of a micro lens on movement and the macro, like just move more, get, you know, just, just, just consume more movement, just get an hour a day, just get 10,000 steps. That is an excellent, simple, correct message, but it's not really it's not working for a lot of people. Like they know it. It's not helping them uptake the movement medicine, I guess, if you will. So I thought that I would go back to some of my more biomechanist roots and say, let's look at moving your ankles more or moving your elbows and shoulders more and moving your hips more and moving your spine more and your upper back more so that you could, one, if you just wanted to get more movement, take a smaller, more local approach so that you could move more in a way that fit better into into your time, but also maybe just into the, like not make it so overwhelming. Um, the other reason I wrote Rethink Your Position was to offer people who would already, they already have the motivation to move more, or maybe they already even had the habit to exercise or move more, but something showed up in their body you know, a knee injury or a low back injury, and they need to troubleshoot it so that they can get back to their whole body movement. So I was like, what would a book look like that met both the person overwhelmed by just the simple move more message and wanted someplace small to start and the person already exercising, but who wanted to be able to troubleshoot their body when things came up so that they didn't keep their whole body from moving. 
I was like, okay, then it needs to be a book organized by body part and to talk about how all of those little body parts um, are in play when it comes to not only fitness, but also everyday living, you know, the emptying the dishwasher to see like, oh, this, this right here, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is the little movement habit I have that a biomechanist could spot, but I couldn't spot it without that trained eye. But I'm going to train my eyes to start seeing the way my small parts are moving. And that became Rethink Your Position. It's a book to start thinking about how you do everything from exercise to non-exercise, but still physical activities better to do it in a way that is more sustainable for your body and gets you to the outcomes that you're desiring. So I have been wrestling with a, a back challenge for several years. Um, and I recently have come to the conclusion that a big part of the cause of that, it's all about the ankles. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? It's all connected. So for me, it's I have a major ankle mobility problem, uh, which... I mean, I, it's crazy to say it, but it took me, and I'm pretty in tune, right? And it took me a few years to be like, oh, you know, if those, if the ankles aren't moving properly, the whole system's going to be a little out of whack. Well, right. The ankles, I mean, the ankles have a very important job to do. Maybe one of the most important and the way that they push off, like, so biomechanists spend a lot of time analyzing gait. Analyzing gait is my favorite thing to do. I have no <laughs> legitimate hobbies. I have nothing else. <laughs> it's just assessing gait. But when you, um, there's a there's a phase w with every step that you take, and we are looking for a certain amount of dorsiflexion, a certain amount of mm -hmm. flexibility in that ankle. And you can walk. The challenge is you can walk perfectly volumic like you can get your 10,000 or your 20,000 or your 20 minute uh, steps or walk every day and not need that dorsiflexion but if you don't have that dorsiflexion then your lower back has to extend more than it normally would so so there's a relationship between what your ankles are doing and what your knees are doing and what your hips and your spine are doing and that is what I put in to rethink your position was to help people see like, oh, that's why my arms swing when I walk. If they're not, then my lower back has to do this extra thing. And, and so that's why walking ends up hurting my back if I go more than three miles. You know, it's just, it's so, taking a walk is such a simple concept. It's such a simple um, activity. But all the pieces that have to come together and work in harmony for that very simple thing um, can become complex to, to look at and to, to break it down. So I enjoy breaking it down because there's nothing better to me than helping someone move their body better um, and to feel better physically and in their everyday life because of some simple calf stretch or some simple rib position thing that they didn't even know was an option. Like they didn't even know it was something that could be done. There, I, yeah, I mean, I can, I'm right there with you, not, of course, not at your, anywhere near your level at all, but as far as my interest in it, like, I can geek out on this stuff with the best, like, I could just talk about ankles and how that throws off, like, I want to hear everything, uh, 
Right. <laughs> um, but we, I know. Uh, and I wonder, like, do normal people find that so interesting? And I think if they don't, they should because it's, we're not talking in abstract. We're talking about every single person's individual body. And don't you want to learn how it's working and how to get it to work better? And I know that's your mission, right? So actually, that, that leads me to a really interesting question, which is, are most people really interested in, in this? Or is it, to your point earlier, kind of a little too overwhelming? Are people just taking their bodies for granted? Kind of what's the state of the union out there? Oh, I don't know what most people are doing. But I would say, if I had to make an educated guess, I would say that our physical literacy is probably pretty poor. And that would mean, like, what I mean by physical literacy would be not the ability to move your body, but the ability to um, maybe read your body. Uh, like, mm. I, don't, I don't know how well we communicate with our bodies. Like, our bodies give us a lot of signals, and those signals can be pretty blunt because the technology of our bodies, the, the operating system of our body is very old. And, and the language that we have and our understanding of concepts is much more sophisticated than the signals that our, our body gives. So I don't think we're very skilled in, in a, we're, we're, not, we're not in a really, how do I want to say this? Like, we're not in a great relationship with ourselves. So if you have to imagine, like, having a partner that you're not communicating very well. And it's like, man, I'm saying this and I feel like the other person isn't hearing me or I keep saying the same thing and the other person isn't changing their behavior. So I think we're in sort of one of those relationships with our body, but I think it has more to do with, we were not taught the language that our body uses. Um, and we, will often like go more towards numbing the way our body feels, which is again, just a communication because we don't, we don't have the space to deal with it. Life has become very full. Um, so, so I think that there's sort of that going on in general. That being said, if we look at the people who were interested in troubleshooting or learning, learning how to, you know, get online with their, with their body and the way that it spoke. I think that that increases once you've had something happen, whether it's a disease or an injury, I think you become more interested in yourself, your physical self, or you're willing to give yourself more time and attention. And then for that group, I think that there are people who are equally geeked out on, on the fact that there's so much going on. I mean, like the fact that you could dive into something like music or um, astronomy or, or plants, you know, and like, or trees or bird watching, right? Which there's all these things for us to geek out on. And like, we geek out on them because you're like, look at all these details. Look at the way it all so beautifully comes together. Look at how I can write something that didn't exist before, you know, like whatever that is, you can do that for your body as well. And so whether people who geek out at that were already um, maybe inclined with that intelligence to like be really interested in body movement or, you know, or anatomy or whatever you want to call it, like 
how all those pieces come together. Like, if it just happens to be that group or people who just like to geek out about things are stoked to find out that you could do that with your body as well. There's plenty of those people. There's like, you know, there's millions of those people, whether it's most, I don't know. And I also think that not everyone is, has lost their ability to communicate with their body, right? There's probably many cultures for which that is more intact who have much slower approaches to life than we do. But maybe for most people listening to this call right now, we would fall into that category of just not having been taught or not having the daily space to nourish that physical relationship that we have with ourselves. I think that's, I think that's all spot on for sure. And I think it's a, a place where so many of us individually and as a culture have a lot of room to grow. Uh, I want to go back to the book because, of course, the section that you write on walking, of course, is near and dear to my heart. And you use an expression in the book that I would love for you to share and, and a little bit more about, which is this idea of changing up your walking diet, which is really interesting to me because I tend to be a creature of habit. Can you share a little bit about what you mean by that and what that can do for you? Right. Okay. So my company is Nutritious Movement. And I spend a lot of time teaching people that they, in fact, have a movement diet. And the movement diet is not only how many movement calories or how many steps or how many minutes you move per day. There's also macronutrients. So macronutrients would be categories or modes of movement, right? So if you are an, uh, a walker and you really identify as a walker and you do most of your movement as walking, just like a nutritionist, or I mean, we could say as a, even in sports, like your coach is going to say you need to cross train because you're not moving all of the parts of your body. Like your legs take get a lot of movement and your arms do as well, but it wouldn't necessarily be the same challenge for your arms if you had an exclusive diet made up of the of the food walking. So you would need to do some other modalities to cross train. You know, make sure that you do something that moves your heart a little bit more or that gets your legs stretching in a slightly different position or, or not just so linear, you know, something more dynamic so that you get more mechanical nutrients out of your diet. And then the micronutrients, just like the micronutrients of food, the micronutrients of walking have to do with all the little movements that go into walking. So let's just talk about the ankle since we've been talking about it so much. Most of the walking most people do is flat and level. Even when you go up in your walk or in your day, oftentimes that's on stairs, which are flat surfaces once again. So the ankle does not have very much movement um, when you have a diet, a walking diet that's mostly flat and level. So when you add things like hills, those hills are different, they're different mechanical nutrients. And you can tell, right? Like there's a big difference between walking up a hill and walking on something flat because you're challenging your, your heart and lungs have to move through a greater range of motion. Your hips have to move through a greater range of motion. Your ankles have to move through a greater range of motion. Your knees have to move through a greater range of motion. You have to carry more weight up and down so these are different movements, even though we would all put them in the category of walking movements, they are different 
mechanical nutrients. Same thing with texture. So it's not only that it's flat, it's also probably debris-free for the most part. Like, you know, if you walk across a field, walking across a field is quite different than walking on a track or walking on a sidewalk, especially if it's like a flat, you know, a fairly level sidewalk. Because those cracks, those lumps and bumps, they challenge what we call the ankle. We actually call it an ankle joint complex because it does so many different things. There's actually two joints in there that are like moving around more like a gyroscope, less like a hinge. And mm. if your walking diet doesn't have what I call texture, so I call it vitamin texture to help people to remind themselves your ankles need vitamin texture. All the bones in your feet need vitamin texture. Um, then you're not getting as, there's not as many nutrients in your particular walking diet um, as there could be. And the same thing goes for really stiff cushioned shoes, right? You know, you've got 33 joints in each foot. That's 66 joints. And they also need texture. Your ankles aren't the only part that need texture. All these uh, intrinsic muscles and joints of the foot need texture. So walking on um, lumps and bumps, even in bare feet a little bit, or at minimum, you know, using tools like fascial therapy balls, like these rubber balls or tennis balls to step on to stretch all those parts of your foot, that's a supplement. That's a way of supplementing your feet mm -hmm. and your ankles with these mechanical nutrients that they need. So, so that's the technical explanation. But what a movement diet is, is like, look at your movement food. Is it the same route? Is it always the same distance? Is it always the same terrain and if you can play with those variables you'll end up getting more walking nutrients out of the same period of time it's it's so good just to be reminded because we are creatures of habit and i work really hard to to make these kind of little changes that you're talking about so it's nice to nice to hear that i'm a little bit on the right track at least with that so uh, I have a, I'm just, I'm hesitant to ask because we're almost out of time, but it's such a big, important question. So I, I heard you recently on Gabby Reese's show, and you talked a little bit about this idea of not relying so much on motivation, but making some changes to your environment. And I know this is like a really big topic for just a few minutes, but can you share a little bit around your philosophy about that? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, our, our, and I will keep it short. The modern environment, the, the, the modern built environment that we're constantly building for ourselves is definitely convenience oriented, whether we recognize it or not. We think we're building to save time, but all we're really doing is eliminating movement. And so at the end of the day, you've gotten rid of all the movement in, to, in your daily life but you still had the need for it in your body. So it's not really convenient at all. And then we're like trying to muster the willpower to do movements that are no longer essential to execute anything in your life. And so I just got really tired about trying to always tap into this willpower part of my brain. I was like, this is really hard. It's a lot easier to do something because I have to do it. 
right? The things that we end up doing are the things that we, we have to do. Movement is one of those things, but there's no one, there's no like grown up, there's no boss, there's no wailing child, like there's nothing that is signaling us to do it except these communications coming from our body, which we have developed like a really sophisticated way of drowning out what they're saying. <laughs> so like, right, if you have any habit that checks you out from your physical sensations, that's part of trying to deal with the fact that we can't, we don't, we don't know what to do with these signals we hear, like, like that we're, we're, it doesn't fit into our life. So restructuring the shape of your physical environment in some way so that the movement happens passively, more as a have to, not always making the convenient thing. And then when you're, you know, begrudgingly looking at like, why did I park so far away? Like, well, because it's what you wanted. Like you wanted to get more steps in this particular way. So you're, for me, that looks like setting up my household differently, like getting rid of so many seats. You know, that's one of the things I'm sort of well known for is making my house more dynamic, just making it so that floor sitting is more of an opportunity to stretch my hips um, and ankles and knees, doing things like um, maintaining walks to get chores, some chores done. So active transportation versus taking a walk just for leisure purposes. Um, it's going to be back to school time. So like the idea of actively commuting partway um, with your kids. So that would be walking them to the bus stop or walking into a farther bus stop or driving if you're driving, but don't drive all the way, drive partway if you can't walk all of the way. If your work schedule doesn't allow for that, um, taking homework walks in the evening, you know, like we, we see these things that have to be done, like, oh, the kids have homework. We have to have dinner. It's like, well, pack it up, pack it up and take it out, <laughs> you know, take it out with you and do it. You know, if you've got spelling words to memorize or math facts, you're doing multiplication tables. It's so much easier to do those on a walk for everybody. It's more connection time for you and your family. Um, you're getting the walk that you need. Your kids are getting outside. Everyone's off screens. It just is a much more nutrient dense way of accomplishing something. So that's just, um, that's a little bit from the, my Grow Wild book for parents, but it's just how do we start meshing up some of these things? So we're not trying to do everything in isolation and not trying to constantly muster up the willpower or the enthusiasm to do it. Because some of these things don't, they're hard to do. Like we don't feel like taking a walk it's challenging for the body to have to get up and initiate it. But once you do it, almost nobody regrets doing it once it's done. So it's like, how can we overcome the inertia more easily so that we can get the reward for it having been done? Exactly. Exactly. And adding to that, if you're doing the walking homework, which I literally never thought about in my whole life until just now, though, of course, I love the concept, you also get the benefit of the fact that your brains are working well. Of course. I mean, so. that's another thing. The brain got its own chapter in Rethink Your Position because I think the brain's need for movement is completely yeah. underrepresented, right? We're going to say knees and hips and spine and shoulders and feet, and no one will put brain and mental health in needs movement for basic function. Basic yep. function. Not even extraordinary function. Basic function. These things need movement to work. 
and we've been thinking about them so separately in a trying to address solutions that are sort of all teased apart that I'm just trying to, as a biomechanist, say most of these things work fundamentally on an axis of movement. And we should troubleshoot there first before getting into things that are much more expensive, involved, take you away from all the other things that you also need to get done in your life because there's a way to address this fundamental movement system while also addressing all the other non-movement areas of our life that also are sort of suffering right now in this, in this, you know, modern context. Once again, it comes back to it's all connected. It all starts with the ankles and ends with the brain. <laughs> um, yeah, or ends maybe, with the experience, you. you know. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. So the book is Rethink Your Position. And Katie, if people want to learn more about nutritious movement, more about the work you do, where are the best places out in the interwebs to find more Katie Bowman? Uh, nutritious Movement is the website. It's the social account. Um, if you like listening and walking, I have a, a podcast for hours and hours, and over almost 200 hours of <laughs> learning on the go is the best place. Perfect. We will link all of those in the show notes. And thank you again for uh, walking and talking with us today. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.